sports fans, welcome to Tribune Sports Radio, episode 7. I'm your host, Ben Raskin. Today we have, uh, with us as always, Chris Camarani. Bueno. Bueno. And uh, Kevin Winter-Morris. It's just episode 6, but good to see you, Benny. Well, we've, we still have the Mulligan episode that we'll be releasing in October. That was the single worst thing ever been recorded in this building. It's very possible that that'll be on, like, the blooper reel. Uh, for a blooper reel, we'll just call it the socially awkward half hour. Is uh, that, like, the other side of the record? <laughs> yes. It is, yeah. yeah. Or this it, is a bonus track when you yeah. buy, I don't know, the, the Frozen soundtrack. Besides, if, if you play it backwards, it's yeah. actually the U.S. Constitution. And uh, so speaking of uh, Let It Go, we brought on our old friend, Kyle Goon. He is a University of Utah beat sports reporter, and uh, he's going to be joining us today. Uh, how you doing, Kyle? Good. How are you guys doing? It's good to finally have you on the show. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I, I know you guys wanted me on for so long. I just put you guys off so many times, um, said, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And finally, I just relented and said, okay, I'll go on this one time. So it's- we'll see how it goes. Trial run. But so far, I'm enjoying it, well, like, one minute in. Well, for certain, this you're guaranteed maybe not to have another episode. But <laughs> good to have you here. So we've got a lot to get through today. Of course, uh, right now, we're going to get with Chris and talk about this World Cup. Uh, it's, you know, all the world, all the eyes are focused down in Brazil as we are talking. Uh, opening game, Brazil came back 2-1 to, uh, after a self-goal and beating Croatia. But barring that, uh, Chris, give us some uh, some thoughts, reflections, and how do you see the World Cup going so far? Uh, it's it's really exciting. You know, I think um, we're about 20 goals, maybe 23 goals ahead of pace where we were at this point in 2010. So I think they had about 18 goals through the first four or five days back in 2010, and they're at 41, I think, now. So, you know, American sports fans always claim that soccer is boring, but um, the goals are flowing. And um, it's exciting, you know. The defending champion Spain got smoked. Smoked. The Netherlands uh, beat them five to one. Uh, tremendous game, and that kind of set the uh, set the the ball rolling for this World Cup. A lot of exciting games. We haven't had a single zero zero draw. Uh, knock on wood. And um, yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, it's really interesting. Talking about beautiful. Uh, when they talk about the beautiful game, the game with the Netherlands was spectacular in that. I actually caught the header that went in. And oh, Van Piercy. I honestly thought it was either a Reebok or a, a Nike, Nike commercial. commercial. I thought it was a commercial. I, yeah. It was just spectacular how that whole time. The Flying Dutchman. That was the uh, headline on, on newspapers with Van Piercy's goal. I mean, it's spectacular. I think if you just watch, I mean, outside of Kevin, people appreciate that kind of stuff. So it was a great goal. Uh, later today, because we're recording this on a Monday, the USA is going to be starting their first game against Ghana. Uh, what's, give us kind of a scouting report of that game. Uh, it's uh, the team that's knocked the U.S. out of the last two World Cups, so it's the revenge factor. Uh, American sports fans love that. Um, Ghana's a very good team. You know, the FIFA national rank, or the, the worldwide national, uh, national, I don't even know where I'm going there. <laughs> global. The, f- yeah. the global FIFA rankings have Ghana like in the 30s and America's like 13. Those are, I think, those are based on how you know teams qualify regionally. The U.S. won their their uh, their World Cup group, but Ghana is a very, very good team. I mean, they have players playing in Italy and a lot of these big leagues around the world. And you know, one of their star players came out and said, "There's no way that we we don't beat the U.S. in the first game." So, bulletin board fodder. Americans love that. So it's going to be interesting. And and with Germany really taking it to Portugal right now. What's the score? To it's it's three nothing, in almost the seventieth minute. So that means that places a lot more importance on how the U.S. performs against Ghana. If you can get a win, 
you're kind of in the driver's seat at least to advance out of that in, in the second spot. If you're looking for the calculus on how the U.S. gets out of this first uh, grouping, is it they need this particular victory? I think so. Uh, um, I think if you get a win, you put pressure on Portugal and Ghana to get points because if you if you beat Ghana, Portugal and Ghana have to play each other too. Mm. So uh, either one of them will either get a point, which isn't as much as a win with three, or one will beat the other. So that means if you get a win, then you get a result against Portugal. Um, you get four points out of the first two games, and then suddenly you're looking at a, at a second. I mean, this is assuming Germany, you know, stays on the the, the pedal and and really takes it to teams. And and if and if Portugal, you know, gives up a couple more goals, then you have goal differential comes into play against the U.S. and they and they play next. They play in Manaus on on Sunday in the in the Amazon. So a lot of factors going on, I think. But this first game, you have to you have to go for a win because in this difficult of a group, you can't leave it up to chance when you're playing a Portugal and a Germany in it's the next two games. It's kind of nice on one hand though that though Portugal will be in without Pepe for yeah no I mean game that's that's big but but someone made a joke on Twitter said that you know he's it's too bad Pepe is going to miss the game because there are chances he could have got a red card against the U.S. <laughs> that would have helped him because he's he's kind of a synonymous wild card in in global soccer so so with uh, do you see Germany sweeping through this particular grouping? Um, I don't know. I mean, these are all different teams. Ghana is is much more organized than Portugal. Portugal's a little reckless, and I think you saw that with the Pepe red card. And you know they have tremendous talent, but there's not much cohesion there. Ghana's you know this group has been together the last two World Cups. They've advanced out of each group that they've played in um, in 2006 as well as 2010. So this they know how to win, and they're they're talented. I mean they they have really good players playing all over the world, and. Um, I think it could come down to, I mean, if Portugal loses today, it, you 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 see this game between the U.S. and Ghana as a huge, huge factor as who can advance or who can get an, you know, uh, um, what's the word, you know, when like a, an advantage, advantage yeah. yeah, an yes. advantage of, of that second spot because I think Germany considered a, a favorite at this World Cup. You, you're kind of going for that number two spot. With the uh, going, to, uh, kind of pulling it back to Utah and to Salt Lake uh, with the Real Salt Lake here. What, uh, is there any connections with the current players we have with any of the groupings that we're going to be facing? No, um, I no. Not Beckerman, there's a chance. Well, I mean, just obviously with America, there's a chance Beckerman can start. Mm. Um, he started the last send-off game against Nigeria, you know, in that holding midfield position. So it's and and Ramondo's the the third goalkeeper. He won't see time unless disaster strikes, but. Um, yeah, not not a lot of uh, Ghanaian or Portuguese or um, German ties on our sales roster. So by the time we record the next episode next Monday, we're going to have played uh, today against Ghana, and then we'll have Germany on. No, Portugal's the next Port- game, Port- Sunday. Portugal on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, let's get a prediction on both those games. Um, uh, I hate predictions. I think uh, you could see um, the U.S. win today, but I think. Portugal's a different team than Ghana. The U.S. is very familiar with Ghana, um, and the Portuguese have Cristiano Ronaldo. and And if you and if you take this result with Germany losing quite quite handily against Germany, you're, they're going to be motivated. I mean, they're not going to want to crash out of the World Cup, and they have they have great players on that team too. So I think maybe you see maybe you see the U.S. beat Ghana today, and then maybe lose against Portugal and and make that game against Germany a do or die. Yeah. So that's that's maybe what I'm going with, but I could see I could see a a draw against Ghana. I could see a draw against Portugal too, but I could see losses in both. I just 
it's a tough group for the U.S. Wow, way to really go out on a limb there. I think you covered everything. <laughs> I didn't say they, a they loss. They could win. They could lose. They With could Chris, tie. yes, Chris, they could. One last thing about uh, before we jump over to Kyle here, real fast. But when talking about Portugal and Cristiano, uh, is it one? Is it Cristiano plus ten, or is it is it a more kind of complete, deeper team that people might give him credit for? It is. It, that's a good question. It, it, they are. I mean, a lot of these guys start for some of the best clubs in the world. They're ju- they just don't play well together. It's weird. It's it's like this the the England factor. You know, England has their players starting in quote unquote the best league in the world in the English Premier League, but every World Cup they they struggle and sometimes they don't even get out of the group so maybe it's i mean soccer's it's a cliche the whole chemistry thing it just doesn't seem to be working with the portuguese because ronaldo has tremendous success at his club teams you know real madrid just won another champions league title and when, when it comes to you know the national team portugal struggles i mean is it U- something would you compare it to something maybe like the uh, nba players like linking up to go to the olympics yeah, or, I mean that. that I mean, recently that hasn't really been the case. Right. No, that's that's true. I think I think you could make the case of, you know, I mean, heck, LeBron's the best player in the world, but Miami didn't have anything to help him this to help him in the finals, and now you look at Cristiano and he has really good players around him, and they're not. I mean, obviously this is just the first game, but it's just it just does it. I just don't know if it translates over, and maybe Cristiano plays better with his club team because they're the different they're better players in different positions i mean he has gareth bale next to him who is considered the best young player in the world so it's it it is an interesting uh shift between club and country but um he is the it factor i mean he's the best player in the world him and him and Messi are are arguably 1a and 1b right now but um he's you know cristiano's never really taken portugal to that next step neither you know messi hasn't either with argentina so it is kind of interesting with international soccer the two best players in the world have struggled with their countries in the last you know two or three world cups he looked okay yesterday i thought (laughs) he looked okay but i mean without that without that amazing goal argentina ties bosnia in brazil i mean Argentine Argentinians do not do not stand for that. It's not like Argentina is playing Germany. Well, the you know, Holy I mean, Father Bos- wouldn't stand for exactly. that. Exactly. You know, Pope, Bos- the Pope Bos- was against that. Bosnia is a great. I mean, Bosnia is a great young team. It's the first time they've played at a World Cup. But if you're Argentina, you kind of have this this factor of you know we're Argentinians. We've won World Cups. We are atop this this ladder of soccer. And then you have Bosnia come in, who's playing in their first World Cup ever as a nation. And to make them work for it. I mean, I guarantee you the press were not ha- were not impressed with a 2-1 win over over Bosnia in, in in the opening round for Argentina. Well, we brought Kyle uh we brought Kyle in here. So we're going to move on to uh some college sports here. Uh Kyle was talking to us before we got fired up the mics about the O'Bannon trial. Uh for those of us who are hearing this, uh give us a rundown of what this is and how this might impact the University of Utah. Yeah, basically it's the trial that um you know, a lot of experts are pointing to as um, the case could, that could change the NCAA wholesale, um, basically determining um, whether um, the players are owed more than just scholarships um, that cover tuition and board, um, you know, f- owed for their likenesses. Would the NCAA should be paying them for all the all the ways they profit from their likenesses? Technically, the NCAA, uh, you know, isn't supposed to be making money off of them, and they say, you know, we protect student athletes. Um, but that's kind of at issue here. Um, the the plaintiff, the uh, Ed O'Bannon, is a former UCLA basketball player um, who basically said, "Hey, UCLA is using pictures of me, my likeness, my jersey number to to make money long after I've left the university, and there's no way I have access to any of that money." 
So basically, that's been going on a week. It's entering week two. The NCAA hasn't had a chance yet to kind of present its defense. Um, so the plaintiffs are still going. Um, but yeah, this could potentially um, force universities to start compensating players for using their image um, to sell tickets, um, to get TV deals. Um, we saw last week there was a video game settlement with EA Sports. Um, so, so all kinds of things um, that the NCAA makes uh, more than like a billion dollars off of could, could, could be at issue here. Um, and, and potentially players are going to get some money. So as an example, I've heard this, and I'm going to bring up my boy Colin Kaepernick from the University of Nevada, but he had said that he had seen his jersey in the student union in the bookstore that was selling for 80 to to $100 and stuff, and he knew that he wasn't going to get any of that monies coming from the sale of those jerseys. I mean, but the, the, counter, the, the other side of the coin to this, of course, is that he's given a top-tier education at the University of Nevada, Reno. Uh, easy, easy. Top, he's given an education. Top Harvard Here, of the huh? West. He's given a free, full-ride education at the University of Nevada, Reno. I, I, I would agree that it is the top university in Reno. <laughs> in northern Nevada. In, it's, it's like top three in Reno. <laughs> So, but anyway, you, but they, you have, what, Washoe Community College is better? Anyway, but he's, he looks at these jerseys that he, he's not getting any money from, and, you know, and he just made a comment saying like, it was part of the, maybe even a catalyst to get him to, grad, to leave college earlier and stuff. Would stuff. What would be the NCAA's response to this? Like, what, how would, if you were playing uh, the president of the NCAA, what would you say, tell these players? Well, in the last week, we've seen kind of a variety of cross-examination from the NCAA. Um, one of them... One of the arguments was that um, the schools and the jerseys are kind of selling themselves in one way. But I mean, you know, like what was Kaepernick's number? Seven. In college? Seven. Ten. Oh, sorry. It was ten at Nevada. Was it ten? Ten. Yeah. Come uh, on, the, man. This guy claims to have to gone the interweb. to the Harvard. Google it. Google it. I'm on Google the, I can't Google, Google it. My computer's but, the one okay. running the show. This but, guy claims to have gone to the Harvard of Reno. I also studied political that. science, the hardest of the social sciences. <laughs> the, it's the only. Reno. I owe Chris Kamrani a big apology, and to Colin Kaepernick and all University of Nevada uh, alumnus, uh, my deepest apologies. Okay, well, well, just hypothetically, like w what the university is saying is that you know Colin Kaepernick, without the Nevada jersey, is just a, a dude off the street, and but um, you know what the the O'Bannon plaintiffs are saying are it is you know well those players like Colin Kaepernick kind of give that school and that team meaning and and that's what draws the fans out um, so there's kind of a little butting of heads there um, the NCAA is also saying stuff like oh well the TV contracts we get the multi-million dollar TV contracts that each of the conferences kind of deal um, is for access to stadiums as if, you know, players aren't necessarily like what, what draw. So are they contracts. saying like with these contracts, we're going to go up to Rice Eccles and just happen to film anything that happens to be on the field. And just as, as it turns out, it's Utah versus USC. Well, I mean, when you say it like that, it doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like there's going to be some interesting, you know, sorting, sorting through some of that. That debate, but basically the NCAA is, you know, fighting for its life right now. I mean, you know, there's a big chance that, you know, if the NCAA has to commit resources 
um, extra resources to paying, you know, football and college basketball players who are really those are really the big revenue sports for the NCAA and the big contract sports. No, none of the other NCAA sports make a ton of money or command big TV deals. But um, you know, the NCAA will have to probably look at if they have to pay players, maybe cutting other sports, and and that's kind of a concern that's um, coming out of this case. And obviously, you know, people in general, I think, um, maybe have a distaste for the idea of 18-year-olds earning earning money f um, for when, when they already have a scholarship. So I don't know. There's a lot of f factors in play, um, but we'll see. Um, certainly this case will probably decide a lot about the future of the so NCAA. So not dancing around this, though, Kyle. What do we, I mean, what would you have them done? Would you pay the players? I mean, specifically, and have them take with the monies they make out of their uh, salaries for them to pay tuition, room, board, and their books? Or wh what would you do to alleviate this quickly? I mean... Have we gotten to the point now in college sports and from your time up at the U that you've seen that these players would be would be benefit with payroll uh, with a salary? And do you pay do you pay your second string long snapper the same as you pay your starting quarterback, or is there different degrees and different payrolls that you have? Well, I think I think what you are kind of pointing out is that there isn't a really good way of alleviating this quickly. Um, you know, there are a lot of questions. I mean, obviously, you'd think that the quarterback would be more um, you know, his likeness, his image, um, his his economic power is going to be a lot more than that of the second string tight end, for example. So it, it's just, I mean, it's complicated. And I think, but I think one thing that you see from this trial right now is that the NCAA is having a lot of trouble defending this concept of amateurism that's held on to for about 100 years. Um, you know, it's that because people are making money off this system, and, and that's the biggest problem, that there's so much money for these conferences, for, for schools and presidents and athletic directors. Coaches are getting raises anytime they get a bit of success. Um, you know, Nick Saban's last contract was obscene. He's going to get several million dollars a year. Um, you know, it's and they famously have that graph when they do the picture of the United States where they talk about the highest paid state employee and something like 47 out of 50, they were college uh, coaches, mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of a couple of deans at schools or maybe college presidents. So, and I, and I think what you see is that the NCAA is having trouble explaining why the athletes who, you know, the coaches without the athletes, you know, would would just be a couple of guys on the street. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like, or they'd be in other leagues and and. It's just the athletes, I think, really make the league what it is. You know, a guy like Tim Tebow or, you know, Johnny Manziel. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those guys really generate a, generate a lot of excitement. They make a lot of money for their individual schools. Riley Nelson. Yeah, Riley Riley Nelson. Um, <laughs> and broken ribs and all or whatever. Yeah, no, it, it's just kind of becoming sort of a logical fallacy that, you know, these administrators and coaches are making tons of money. They're building these huge facilities, you know, but it's also those facilities are kind of a, um, a smokescreen for saying, hey, our department isn't making a ton of money or isn't making money. They, you know, athletic departments are kind of balancing out their budgets, so they're building these expensive projects where at the end of the year, they're they even. They zero out. Yeah, they're... they're uh, you know, Kyle, there was an interesting article back in May. Uh, Deadspin did it. Uh, 
about the actual cost of the scholarships and that essentially it, it's a lot of what you're talking about, this self-canceling accounting is, is how they refer to it, where, um, you know, it's, athletic departments are saying the cost of the scholarship is this and we're giving them room and we're giving them board and tuition when really when you look at the actual cost of university so much of the costs are being canceled out mm -hmm. um, that in the end it's nowhere near the number the scholarship number is nowhere near what they're saying um, and for me I think that that's the interesting part about all of this is that and you brought it up Kyle there's people making a ton of money off this and anytime you're making a ton of money off something, you don't want to give that up because money's power. Let's be honest. And if you're making a ton of cash, you're not going to give that up willingly. Um, in my opinion, the way I see it, I think that the student athletes are kind of getting the old uh, scroogey. So you don't think, so it's when we talk about getting an education at a school, like does that just get discounted across the board that, What's, I mean, with the life of an average player, Kyle, what, how much time are they spending in the classroom versus what are they doing in the practice field, weight room? Like, is there a true balance between the time spent on the field and in the, in the classroom? You know, I think there is certainly a, a little bit of balance, especially depending on what major kid has. I know, um, you know, I do cover Utah now, but, but the, um, you know, when I covered Utah State. Yeah, you were up at Utah State year, for a long time. Um, you, know, you know, some people were engineering majors and, you know they're trying to finish out school and try and you know there are some all academic guys and but you know some guys are I, I think what the case has also revealed um, in testimony last week is that a bunch of ex players kind of testified hey I was an athlete first and I was kind of steered toward this major by a coach or by an advisor um, you know he health sciences physical science um, you know uh, anatomy and, and just kind of like um, a softer science, you know, po political science, political kind of that kind of <laughs> soft stuff. Uh, but, but it's just like, you know, there is kind of a spectrum, and on one, you know, ed edge of the spectrum, you know, some athletes are just going to kind of get their scholarship, get their degree, in, a, in sort of a degree mill situation, and and go on to the next level if they can. So I think there's definitely um, issue there. That's yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember back at uh, the glorious athletic institution that is Loyola Chicago. <laughs> uh, you know, if it was a class that you had to take, uh, a core class, when you showed up that first day, you hoped that there were athletes in that class because you knew then you'd found a class that perhaps wasn't, uh, that uh, might be a little bit uh, on the uh, less, challenging less side? strenuous side. Uh, how, how do you guys think I got into journalism? <laughs> right, right. Well, what would you, so you think you're getting the screw. So what would you do to rectify this? Is it more than just, is it a stipend? Is it a payroll? Do you put a value on these players? Do you give them a, uh, let's say there's a bucket of money out there and that you just divvy it up and, and how, yeah. would you, how would you do that for the players? I would pay them. I would, um, I, especially um, the major – now, see, I'm going to use the term revenue-generating sports. I, I would guess most athletic departments would say we aren't, in fact, making money. Um, but, again, that gets back into the creative accounting. Um, I, I think that when you look at, for instance, the University of Utah, on their, their website um, – and all over, you see some of their student athletes. And what Ed O'Bannon, and, and as Kyle was explaining, those, those athletes are getting nothing for that. 
you can make the claim while they're getting an education. That's fine. Come on. But I mean, isn't that part of the agreement, though, that they knew going into this, and now they want to have see? But that is now they right. want to reset the table in the middle of it. And well, no, he, he, I I don't think so. Uh, it, it, just because you're being exploited, I, I, I essentially think I, I think that they're being exploited, and and so just because you're being exploited, you then work to change that. Um, you deserve to be compensated for your not just your image, you, your everything. Every way that you are helping the university through publicity, through marketing, you deserve to be compensated. Well, then, Camo, how? Where's the stopgap on this? Do we start paying high school players? No, because I know they're not generating revenue. But I mean, could you pay a high school player? Could you say we're going to have this kid sit a year and transfer him from school A and move him to school B because he's that good? I mean, is there is that child being exploited because they're selling popcorn and tickets at the games and stuff at high school? I mean, I know I'm talking about really level, small level. I'm just saying, it's like, where do you stop paying these people, or can you pay anybody? Well, I think I think that's going to be a kind of crux of the NCAA's argument that it's a slippery slope, and and that there's not really a line you can draw. But uh, well, I just want to bring up an interesting model that kind of came up in arguments last week, um, where some some economic experts have suggested that it might be possible. Um, to pay players after their eligibility expires or after they leave the institution, where imagine Chris Camarani is a great, uh-huh. run, uh, great. Uh, I don't know what are you, what position cornerback. Let's say you're a great cornerback, and he's not built to play cornerback. What are you talking about, man? I was a cornerback in little league. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, you're more of a running back. I can. Well, I was gonna say running back. I was gonna but say punter. I mean, could you imagine punter. Chris? All right, punter. Okay, Chris so is the Chris is great. He's an all-American punter, Can't and care. he plays four years at uh, Lake Wanamaka University, and that's first a, ever all-American. That's all a Harvard of the South. <laughs> for, first, first all-American for the school. It's very special. Um, but uh, so after his after he moves on to the NFL, the NCAA or the school itself determines how much of an economic impact Chris had, and and uh, how much they use his likeness, and they imagine sort of like a bank account in his name. So when Almost he a trust fund, yeah, sort of like a trust fund. When he becomes, when he leaves the institution, he gets the money that he was owed as a player. Does that make sense? That's so that's a, that's, that's an interesting seems model. Particularly reasonable, and it seems like a pretty good idea. And it's and it's and the thing is, I think a lot of the general public it, um, feels that you know, oh, athletes they get gear, they get. Um, you know, scholarships, they, they kind of have everything they need taken care of for them, but that might be a little more tasteful model for the people who are not on board with the idea of pay-for-play necessarily. However, so. okay, so Chris at uh, Lake Wakapamaki, uh, the All-American punter, the reason that he was an All-American punter is because their offense couldn't move the ball. Their quarterback, Ben Raskin, had the arm of a <laughs> – had a glass a arm. wet noodle. Couldn't throw the ball at all. They couldn't run. So Chris is punting, you know, 13, 14 times a game. What do, what compensation does Ben get for being a crummy quarterback and helping Chris? Got you got a cannon on my arm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You may have a cannon so for an arm, but uh, <laughs> the accuracy was always I, lacking. You know, I, I'm not sure what the model would be. I'd assume they'd have to kind of look at a model of, you know, how often we well, do we use his image? Well, how, it, was he an All-American 
Was he in, an important player? How much jersey sales did he have? You know, a, a well, lot there of is a model set in the NFL it. right now. Is that in every and in, in every press box or every booth they have up there? Is there's a fellow out there with a stopwatch monitoring how much time a particular player is on screen during the course of any particular game, and that dictates some of the monies that he takes. And so I met a I met a guy who used to do this at Tampa Bay, uh, who played for uh, who's uh, working for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and his entire job was to see who's on the screen on the national feed at any given time. So there is an algorithm that you could probably put together for this. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'm saying, though, is that if, like, if it's a running back, you, you all, of us have, sales. all of us have talked to running backs before. Yeah. The, the vast majority of them, when you ask them what, why do they have a good game, you ask them about the game, the first thing that they do is they compliment the line, their offensive line. Oh, the guys were blocking, they were opening the holes, I just ran through them. Well, what... How does how do you compensate the offensive line for helping that running back achieve All American status? That that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, the picture is, on the ticket is the running back, but he doesn't without an offensive line. I mean, if you wipe out the offensive line, you have a crummy offensive line. That he he's it doesn't matter how good he is, he's gonna get well, pummeled. I, I think like Benny was kind of saying earlier. I mean, you're kind of bringing up a point that. There is a disparity between the value of individual players, and that that that'll have to be worked out, and and it's complicated, and I'm not sure anyone has a great model yet of how to how to compensate, um, you know, a star player versus a sort of blue collar. I'm right. I'm starting every game, but I'm not a star type player. Um, but you know, I I think it's going to become more important to people, and I think a lot of a lot of folks are kind of more convinced that that payer, that players deserve some sort of compensation for what they do i mean they kind of getting back to what you're asking about time commitments i mean you know being an athlete is a huge time commitment it's not just training in the weight room it's not just practice it's you know trying to uh try, trying to digest playbooks and plays and concepts um you know doing conferences with coaches, with tutors, and, and trying to cram in homework amid all of that. And I think it's – I feel pretty safe in saying that they probably do a lot more than the average student. Um, and you may say that's why they get their scholarships. But it's not a good look for the NCAA, especially when you think about, um, you know, what happened with – I believe it was the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago where a bunch of officials were shown to kind of be using their budgets for the bowl to go on cruises – golf outings buy cars for themselves and, and they got booted out but people are doing this yeah i mean there's a there's a whole complex associated with bowl games um with college football and basketball of people who are not playing the sport getting perks from people who are let me ask one follow-up question before we move on so you, we talk about the revenue generating sports specifically basketball and football but the NCAA also does uh, work with other non-quote-unquote revenue-generating sports, ranging from swimming, gymnastics, baseball, softball, some of these sports that don't make a lot of money and stuff. How would you – would they fall into the same category, even though the, the revenues taken from the football, football contracts do help supplement and offset the cost for other programs at a university? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. And, and I think, like I said earlier – maybe some of those sports are, are facing elimination one way or another. I mean, w with, with Title IX, you know, you, you can't just 
eliminate pro programs arbitrarily, but you have to think that some sports programs would probably go away because even if athletic departments are building things and spending money in a way that makes the zero balance and they probably would have a little w extra wiggle room if they wanted it, you'd have to think recruiting would ju be just as competitive. So they'd still be building facilities and things to attract athletes and their budgets would probably be stretched a little thinner. And if football and basketball are the ones making money, then you know, you're gonna invest in those sports. So I, I don't know what the future is for some of those other sports. And I think maybe some of those quote unquote non-revenue sports are kind of watching this case with interest, wondering, hey, is this gonna hurt us? And I think that's one thing the NCAA is gonna say in its defense when it takes, has to take the stand in its own defense. Yeah. Last week, uh, moving on, uh, two champions were uh, crowned in both the NBA and the NHL. Uh, last night, the San Antonio Spurs down the uh, Miami Heat 4-1. And with this, uh, any, did you have a chance to watch the game there, Kyle? Uh, yeah, I did, I did actually watch uh, the game last night. It was not very interesting after the first half. Even though he, what did he put up like? So when I say he, of course, we're talking about LeBron on this. 31, point. 10, and 5. Yeah, but in the first quarter, didn't he do like 16 or yeah. something like yeah. that? Uh, hard to win three back-to-back-to-back uh, -to -back -to -back titles has been done by L.A. I mean, uh, what's the, what do you think the future is going to be for the big three there, Chris? Are they going to keep this uh, well, since, machine together? Since LeBron and I go way back, <laughs> um, I'm kind of, you know, in his ear about a lot of things. So he's he usually gives me those those tips. Um <laughs> I don't know. You got to get better players. Um, even even the esteemed Tony Jones had had great insight last night. He said it's like LeBron's back in Cleveland. I mean, those those guys around him just aren't good. I mean, Dwayne Wade is not good. Chris Bosh is a jump shooter. Ray Allen is, is, is a dinosaur. Is, is a dinosaur. Chris Anderson doesn't know what's going on. Like it is amazing to see. I mean, it, it comes down to a lot of things. Popovich is a is a is arguably one of the best coaches to ever coach in the NBA, and he and they have all these different types of players who are so humble and just go about their business. Miami's totally different. Miami's about not one, not two, not three, not twelve championships. It's that it's it's different. So that's LeBron needs better players. I mean, if if you're going to be a high profile big three and go out and claim to win all these things, I think you need better players. And Miami didn't add anybody; they got older. They didn't. They didn't add anyone. They got Chris Chris Bosh shooting jumpers and Dwayne Wade getting a run around by Tony Parker. I mean, he he made Dwayne Wade look bad, pedestrian. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I think if you're Miami and, and you're trying to keep keep the big three, because ultimately, what Miami does want is to keep that big three and then probably add a few pieces to it. I mean, but your sell is, hey guys, this is the best chance you. You have it at a, at a championship, but all three of them can, if they want, if if Chris Bosh wants a big payday, he can opt out and and kind of make his own own way somewhere else. You know, it's I mean it's going to be a tough sell, and their Miami's only sell is, hey, you guys, you three have the best chance of winning a championship together. If that's what you're interested in, we want to support that, but they can't offer them the money that other places can. Yeah, but you can't offer them the no state sales tax. It's probably <laughs> got to be very enticing. 
with uh, Popovich, I mean, it's just put up, you were saying it's probably the greatest coach in the NBA, you know, with the, uh, where, do, where does, where do you think the Spurs go from here? I mean, because you want to talk about a dinosaur team. That's an old team with like Tim Duncan. It's a, it's a dinosaur team, but you also have Kawhi Leonard come on as, you know, between him, he and Paul George, probably two of the most, you know, talented young players in the NBA who have a, a tremendously bright future. Then you have role players. I mean, Danny Green, Patty Mills, Tiago Splitter, all of these guys are better than anyone on Miami's bench. I mean, Miami was throwing out Norris Cole. I mean, Mario Chalmers, man. I mean, that guy That guy started and did absolutely nothing in that entire series. If anything, he did more harm than good. So I think that's, it's a multitude of things. I mean, you have, a, you have a true center. He's not a power forward. You have a true center in the modern game mm-hmm. who patrols the paint, who does everything that he needs to do. Then you have great players around him. It's almost like the Spurs to me are like are like a college basketball team. You have a big, a really good big guy in the middle, shooters around him, move the ball around. I mean, that's kind of what college basketball is. Really good college basketball teams are good at, you know, shooting the th- shooting the three, stretching the floor, and then if they need to, give it to the the thirty eight year old, you know, senior. <laughs> speaking speaking of Argentines, how about Manu yesterday? I mean, holy cow, killing it, man. His, him and his friar's haircut. <laughs> he was swatting no bats, but he was he was getting it, man. The Spurs are awesome. And they'll never get – and the best thing about the Spurs is they won't get the recognition that the Jordan teams did, that the Lakers teams did, that the Miami teams did. But that's just kind of the way it goes with, you know, the coverage. It's not cool. Uh, there there wasn't Spurs flash. Uh, the, the thing with the Spurs is that there wasn't flash. You know, it, it, you look at the Lakers, there was flash. You look at the Bulls, there was flash. You, uh, you had Jordan for all six, yeah. and then you also had Rodman for the last three. There, there was flash there, and Pippen. Come on, you know, Scotty, yeah. he, Tony Kukoc, uh, Tony, uh, Luke Longley. I mean, Will Purdue. Uh, you want to keep going? Bobby Hansen, Stevie Kerr, Ron Harper. But I, I mean, uh, Horace Grant. Okay, so and the other thing that kind of weirds me out about the Spurs team is, you know, no one doubts that that LeBron and, and KD are, are the two best players in the world. But at the same time, it's like Tim Duncan, where does he end up in that conversation? I feel like he has to end up in a place where he's got to be considered, I don't know, top 10 all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he just he's, wins. He's unreal. You know? He just and wins, and he does it without flash. He just he scores, he rebounds, he he wins. He he's kind of your. Uh, he's the second. Re- it's a reincarnation of David Robinson. You know, he just basically took that mantle and just wore it for an entire career. He's a, mo- he's a better offensive player, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's he's just. I'm talking about, I was talking about down. the character, and I was talking about just that efficiency and always getting uh, it done. Yeah. He also doesn't break down. I mean, I know he's had some injuries, but if you're like seven foot and you've played 18 years and not had like a major injury, that's pretty insane. Mm. Door jams run into problems. I mean, still he keeps going. I wonder how much quinoa he eats. (laughs) So much quinoa every night. How much kale does he have every day? Oh man. The superfoods. Uh, NHL, the LA Kings, they uh, down the Rangers in very dramatic fashion and a uh, second overtime. Two great hockey markets, LA and New York. (laughs) Snooze. Wow. I, I, I think it was this funny. Might be the third podcast that you've used that line. It, it was funny, you know. Someone's some like TV announcer was like, "The Kings are really made hockey a thing in Southern California," and I was like, I, "Yeah, I'm sure yeah. they did. There were probably more people at the beach, like watching." 
people do boogie boarding than we're watching that <laughs> watching that Kings game. I mean, they're they're fun. It's totally. I mean, and watching the, the game ended in such dramatic fashion. Uh, if you get on YouTube, you can go through these clips where it's like the last uh, min, or like the last two seconds of every single NHL uh, Stanley Cup championship, and you watch you know the gloves getting thrown up there with Martinez. Coming in there, though, I mean, that was – it was – you just was almost willing him to do it because you wanted to see the cup presented, even if you'd have a dog in the fight. The, there is no – it doesn't even come close. There is no other trophy that is as cool as the Stanley Cup. World Cup trophy is pretty cool. No, no. Well, I mean, it's – the Stanley Cup's cool because it's it's actually passed around and people get, you know, time with it, that whole thing. Yeah. If and we're talking about – Your name is, on, is yeah. engraved on it. It's um, – the the ring is on there that uh, they they say for about sixty years your name, uh, and then when they take the ring off, it goes into the hockey hall of fame. Uh, yeah, you get twenty four hours with it to do with it whatever you'd like. Our it's guy just, Lewis is amazing. presumably going to be taking it back to Salt Lake City. Yeah, he's going to be at the Maverick Center probably, probably yeah. for yeah. the second year in a row or second twice in three years. Three, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's just it's such a cool trophy, and uh, I, I was watching it, and you know. You, you watched each guy get the cup, and uh, my wife was like, "Do you think they that they determine the order?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, that that is <laughs> it is very specific as to who gets it after whom." Um, I love watching that. I don't I don't care which team it is. Watching the team win the Stanley Cup is is unbelievable. It's it's so cool to see them pass it to each other and they skate around with it over their head. And, and every time you're waiting for someone to drop it or yeah. to fall. Because I know I would absolutely fall in my rear end <laughs> trying to – the thing weighs almost 40 pounds. Uh, so, you know, you're trying to hold it up over your head after playing a double overtime hockey game, I'd be on my rump, no doubt about it. That thing would get so dented it'd start bouncing down the ice. <laughs> I mean, my, my favorite moment is the first player who, who makes the jello mold out of, out of the <laughs> Stanley Cup. That's the most exciting thing for me about hockey, jello. I like the idea of uh, that's uh, when the stars won a bunch of uh, years ago. They uh, the band Slayer got to party with the Stanley Cup, and then they ended Jesus. up launching it off a, uh, a roof, trying to hit a pool, and they ended up denting it on the side. I mean, the, the idea the that, stories are great. Yeah, like they wake up yeah. uh, and then after a big party, and it's at the bottom of a pool, or you know, they've baptized kids in it. They've um, oh, the stories are just great about what they do with the thing. Um, yeah, partying with Slayer. Stanley Cup full of Jaeger, I'm sure. <laughs> or, or what was that liquor that Aaron was talking about in that one podcast? Oh, the Malort. Uh, Malort. Malort, yeah. Yeah. Stanley Cup full of Malort. Uh, Is there a better job in sports than the guy who gets to travel travel around with the Stanley Cup? Is there in fact no? It's a the best job? babysitting job in any in any realm. It's it's better than anything from Downingtown Abbey to Mrs. Doubtfire. That's I was going to say the guy who fills a LeBron's little chalk bowl. No, nope. that's a good gig. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a decent sports job. We're all witnesses. It's true. Not I. I, I want to be the Stanley Cup guy. The what? We are all witnesses. I haven't said it in a while. Remember remember when that was a thing? Anyway, yeah. moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, get, good LeBron, job, Kyle. LeBron got blamed for Nike's ad ad placement, ad ideas, just like everything else in his in his life. I mean, poor guy. Everyone hates him for everything. It's yeah. like this guy, man. He just shoots hoops. He just shoots hoops. There's plenty of probably worse people in the world, but the entire world does not like this man. It's and yet he's probably 
one of the best players in the history of basketball and he actually like passes it's not like everyone loved michael because michael's like i'm gonna shoot 50 times but i'm gonna make nine but i'm gonna make that last one but lebron like hits wide open guys with behind the back through the leg passes and they're like nah not him it's it's not his fault no teammates more not him (laughs) not only that he's also very savvy with the media answers the questions it is gives insightful things it isn't canned answers yeah, it, but yeah, we hate him. Yeah, I don't hate him. I like LeBron. You, I like his headband. Yeah, we're all Would you wear a headband if you could to no. work? Well, I mean, got this story to knock out. It's forty-inch story. Got to wear the headband. <laughs> I feel like Chris <laughs> could do head. it. Could pull it off if he went all out with like a tennis tennis outfit, like white polo. Well, I could part and, my hair down short the middle shorts. and go full uh, Federer if you guys want to do that. And then I could put, then I could put. Um, yeah, I gotta but, go. Anyway, okay. So it's before we wrap up here, it's uh, just a little bittersweet for me. Uh, today, uh, before coming to do the podcast, I uh, found out a uh, childhood hero of mine, Tony Gwynn, had passed of cancer at the age of 54. Uh, I was talking to Kevin before we got on the air, and it's like, it wasn't not so much as being the San Diego Padres fan for as many years and going to the games with my grandfather, um, you know, literally almost 15 years of being able to see maybe 10 to 12 games. But you see uh, these great heroes that you have and stuff, and when what was really bittersweet about it more than anything is that it kind of puts a cap on your childhood. And uh, it's uh, not a lot of, gr- you know, you have these great players that you do like and, and uh, just kind of a crummy thing. Uh, I remember when I used to host another podcast uh, that same day, Adam Yowder, the Beastie Boys had died. And I remember it sort of had the same impact when you're at, um, you know, you just think about this childhood and how the things that you love and like when you're fifth and sixth grade, they kind of define the passions that you have as you get later in life. And so... You know, I would, uh, nothing for nothing, I wanted to send my best out to his family, the whole San Diego nation, and uh, it just was really kind of a crummy day today. It, it, there is something about There's a, There is absolutely a connection to those sports figures that you grew up cheering for. Um, for me, it was Ryan Sandberg, the second mm-hmm. baseman for the Cubs. I mean, it, I, had, I had multiple posters of Ryan Sandberg on my wall growing up. I tried to hold my baseball bat the same way that Ryan Sandberg did. Um, I had a bat. He had a he had a Rawlings bat with a blue um, a blue ring on it, uh, like uh, just uh, about halfway up the bat. I got I mm-hmm. made sure I got one of those bats. I had a Ryan Sandberg glove. <laughs> I, I understand. I mean, you just feel a connection there. It it's it's irrational to an extent the the connection that you feel to them um, because you don't you, you know you don't know Tony Gwynn. No. I don't know Ryan Sandberg, but. Yeah, it, it there it, it's almost an end of innocence, I think, um, and it is sad. It 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 most certainly is sad. Yeah. Well, I, you know, one thing I think about is interesting. Um, you know, to, Tony Gwynn's career was ending around the time that um, you know the great home run hitters of the late '90s were really kind of making a march with McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, kind of after them. And I feel like when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. With my idol, my childhood idol, Cal Cal Ripken, Um, you know, what he brought to the game was kind of re-appreciated in a new light when steroids kind of come out and and everyone was kind of recognizing that a whole, you know, mini generation of of baseball was built on the back of, of substances. What Tony Gwynn brought to the game, just pure swinging, not striking out, not not a lot of power, but also very consistent and and going to the plate 
um, and getting on base, you know, that was that was kind of just revalued again. And I think we saw that during his Hall of Fame induction. And, and uh, he was kind of an anti-Bonds, kind of somebody who, you know, didn't let his ego kind of rule what he did to uh, in the game. He just kind of did what he did, you know, was happy with that and, and was very proud of his career. So I think that's something to be commended out of an era where steroids kind of spoiled the, the game for a lot of us. Yeah. T- Tony Gwynn, the, the man is a Cubs fan. I hated him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He, 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 you get two strikes on him, and he was the one guy you're like, it doesn't matter. Uh, he Tony Gwynn never had a problem with rolling the ball between the first and second baseman and barely getting it into the grass of the outfield for a single. Yeah. Like, that, w- that was what he did. And he – he didn't care because he had accomplished his goal and he got on base. And it was like, Tony! Man, all the time. He, he just kind of rolled that, his bat over the ball and roll it between the first and second baseman for a single. When, when, when he was down two strikes, you were like, all right, man, we're getting out of the, Oh, Tony, I thought we were getting out of this inning. Come on! Well, for 20 seasons with the Padres, a three thirty-eight uh, lifetime average, you know, five hitting, uh, batting, t- batting titles, 15 oh, yeah. All-Star games, two World Series appearances. He even hit the sole home run when the Padres played the Yankees in 98, you know. And so uh, just my favorite, when talking about the Cal Ripken induction, was uh, we were watching it at home and with my girlfriend, and uh, she knew I, I talked about Tony nonstop my, our entire time. And as she goes up to the, the, the microphone to do his induction speech, she has two comments. She says, oh, my goodness, he's, he's black and, and he's fat. <laughs> and it was the funny thing about the – there wasn't the black thing, was nothing on that, but the fat thing, I was like, come on, you know, he's been out of the game for five years. He's, you know, he's allowed to put on some weight and stuff like that. No, 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 no. They were showing Tony Gwynn in 84 when he was – He was a big boy. It was a big – was, this was a high right – well, this is a sizzle reel of Tony – and I'm like, all right, so he's been a, a chunkier player. Maybe that's excused my uh, physique for so many years. But isn't that w- what makes him such a great American? Mm-hmm. It's just he, he has a talent. No matter, no matter what you look like, you, you can do it. You can Maybe. do it. Not all of us, but uh, at least one of us. Uh, he's the best. But anyway, so we're going to wrap up Tribune Sports Radio for this week. Uh, for Chris Camrani, Kevin Winter-Morris, Kyle Goon, I'm Ben Raskin. Uh, follow us on Twitter, of course. And uh, – Plus, go to iTunes, uh, give us a nice five-star review, comments, and if you have any questions, tweet any of the boys, and we'll start doing a mailbag for the upcoming weeks. And so, once again, for you, Tony, thank you.